Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Since early September, we have been in a series entitled Encounters in Exodus. I preached one of what, 16 Sundays, I think, I don't know where Jimmy is, and he has preached the bulk. He, it has been such a gift with many of you to sit and listen and learn from him as Jimmy has both skillfully and thoroughly presented the Israelites' journey from captivity to liberation. He has done that well. In the midst of preaching on their journey, he has also invited us to apply many of the truths that they were experiencing, truths and lessons that sometimes they learned and heeded and sometimes not so much. Does this sound familiar in our own lives? <laughs> I know in my life this is something very familiar. Sometimes I heed it and sometimes not so much. Yet from their story, there is plenty that we can learn for our lives today. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active. I thank you that your word is powerful. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, sit, um, stroll through, perhaps run through the wilderness, I pray, Lord, that we would know that you are here with us and that um, our minds and our hearts would be open to you. Any distractions, I pray that those would stay away and that we would just be um, present. Um, Yeah, just thank you for this time. Amen. So at this point in the series, you may have gleaned from the text this morning that Derek so beautifully read, and from hearing the last couple of weeks that we are, perhaps you are, in the wilderness. A place that I'd happily run through, quite honestly. <laughs> However, it seems like a place that is necessary. And I don't think we get to travel through it quickly, even though some of us might want to do that when we encounter it. I don't give sermon titles generally until Chris asks for them when he puts it on the website. On the website, I just don't think that way. But for some reason, as I was on Facebook, sort of scrolling through, um, some of you know David Swanson. He's a pastor in Bronzeville. He's always like, "What's your text? What's you know? What's what's the context?" And I was like, "Okay, wilderness for sure," and it's a part of the journey. Was what I came up with. Now, like I said, I'd probably be that person that wants to get on their best pair of running shoes or in my non-trained state, my best pair of walking shoes and just get through the wilderness as fast as possible because it sounds a little bit uncomfortable. And as one theologian stated, the wilderness is a dangerous place. You only, want, you only go there if you have to. The wilderness is a dangerous place. You only go there if you have to. So I'm holding on to that partially. We have some understanding of the wilderness based on the Exodus chapters, as well as other places in the Old Testament we hear about it. There's a limited amount in the New Testament where it is talked about. And so I wanna read some excerpts from Erdman's dictionary, Bible dictionary, and perhaps give us a more of an understanding of the wilderness based on some of the author's findings. Literally a place not inhabited by human beings. Okay, this doesn't sound good. (laughs) As such, it came to be considered the natural habitation of demons in Matthew 12, 43 and Luke 8, 29. The word does not necessarily imply a bleak desert area, only one not inhabited by human beings. 
By far the majority of Bible references are to, the, are to the wilderness of Sinai in which the Israelites wandered for 40 years. At least three significant theological ideas became associated with that wilderness. Covenant, miraculous provision, and judgment. It was in the wilderness at Mount Sinai that Israel was given the law and became the covenant people of God. So that's a lot of our understanding. As well as, as you get into Jeremiah and Hosea and Ezekiel, there's a lot about the covenant. There's a lot of um, the Lord Jacob uh, wrestling in the wilderness. Uh, we hear it a lot. Israel is, is repeatedly exhorted to remember how God led her into the wilderness. So it was God's doing that led them there. Most common than references to God's covenant or provision in the wilderness are passages referring to God's judgment. So that also takes place in the wilderness. Many verses in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on refer to that. And as I stated before, New Testament writers refer to wilderness only sparingly. Jesus' disciples question where they are to get food in the wilderness in Matthew 15, 33. Paul mentions being in danger in the wilderness in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Most prominently, the wilderness is the locus of the ministry of John the Baptist. And that's referenced in mostly all of the Gospels. Some descriptions there to just familiarize ourselves again with nobody necessarily lives in the wilderness. So right there, when I read that, I was like, so this is a good thing <laughs> that the Lord would bring them here? So the Israelites had in entered that place, not inhabited by human beings. In the Gospels, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to a place, as we read in this example, consider the natural habitation of demons. With these descriptions, it is not necessarily a place thus far that I would want to frequent or stay too long. This source was helpful as well as another book I read in my Old Testament class last semester. In this collaborative work, one author was very familiar, Walter Brueggemann. The authors did well to lay out the structure of the book of Exodus and the themes. Liberation into wilderness was the section of the chapter that really stuck out to me. And probably because the idea of being liberated and then brought into the wilderness, um, I don't know, kind of seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, even though I don't think it is. And the first sentence after that was, God delivered Israel not immediately into the promised land, but into the wilderness. So we have this awareness of the promised land being promised to them, but that's not the first stop. The first stop is the wilderness. And after that, the authors point out several themes that I just want us to look at. I think they had five. I want us to look at four of those because I think they're very applicable to the story. I agree with these themes. And I think there's things in there that we can, we can draw from. Number one, God's salvation does not guarantee life without hardships. God's salvation does not guarantee life without hardships. The world outside of the bondage of bondage is also a world with dangers and struggles. Needs are not automatically supplied and lack of food and water for Israel carries the threat to the people's welfare into the most basic of human needs. Basic needs, water, food, where you're gonna rest. Can you move it, move during the day? Can you move at night? God's salvation does not guarantee life without hardships. This theme is obvious in the story of the Israelites and in our own stories. I think even though we know life will contain hardships, uncertainties, heartache, it is still very hard at times for us to face them. <laughs> um, God's saving of us does not prevent those things. And don't we wish it would? We get saved, we know salvation, we're delivered from a situation, and life is good. 
Wouldn't that be ideal? I, I actually was thinking it would, be, it would be fun to be like in a holy bubble sometimes, <laughs> where it's like me, God, my community, and I'm sort of untouchable from this pain, but that's not a reality, right? We know that, we see that. Turn on the news, talk to a friend. That is not life. Another example that came to mind was the enslaved people of our nation. Exodus is a story that many black Americans, many African Americans identify with. I'm sure you've heard that. I know I've referenced that a couple times. Many longing for that day of liberation, and it eventually comes. It does happen. Yet that salvation, that liberation, did not guarantee life without hardships. Post-slavery, I've read in some things, post-slavery was harder than slavery because there was this understanding, at least of, okay, if you had a good master, then you'd be clothed, you'd be taken care of, etc. Good, totally in quotes. Reconstruction, the failure of 40 acres and a mule, black codes, to name a few realities that made life at times unbearable for people who were supposedly free. Last night, I was, as I was thinking of this, I thought these people were actually free, but still forced to live in a state of bondage. So actually, they were told they were free, but yet the life here in America did not make space for that, and we know much has come from that. Salvation does not guarantee life without hardships. Literal salvation with, of, of God towards us as well as at times being set free from scenarios such as the one I just spoke of. Second theme that came out of this book, in the context of such struggle, even bondage can begin to look attractive. Well, we see that. Faced with the wilderness, some would choose the security of bondage over the struggle in freedom. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, is what the Israelites said in Exodus 16.3. In this moment in the wilderness, the Israelites looked back. Not always a good thing to do. <laughs> Somehow with bondage, there was security, or so they thought. The struggle was real. Have you been there? When life gets hard, you begin to look at the old life, the old ways, and somehow the bondage looks attractive. You can somehow justify it, like, well, at least, you know, we had this and this back there. Folks, you had a bunch of other things too, right? Number three, in the wilderness struggle, the people turn on Moses, Aaron, and God. This conflict is the beginning of a complex set of traditions concerning the people's complaint and rebellion in the wilderness that continue on into the Pentateuch. In the Pentateuch. The memory of Exodus' deliverance is not enough to engender trust in the Lord's providence. Moses increasingly must intervene and mediate between his rebellious people and God as we saw earlier with the water. What am I to do with these people, Moses asks. They're almost ready to stone me. The struggle is real and it continues. And God did give him a solution. But just that reality of sometimes in the wilderness, like who we're struggling with, who we're struggling against. And we saw that in this scenario with the Israelites, it caused them to turn on their leaders. The fourth theme that they see in this text is that God's response at this point in these chapters, a lot goes on in later chapters with God's, God and his response of frustration, but in these chapters, this, this block all the way up to about um, uh, chapter 18 for sure, God's response is gracious, merciful, and providential. He has seen their misery. 
He has heard them crying because of the slave drivers. He is concerned about their suffering, their suffering matters. He sent a deliverer to his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He gives Moses signs because maybe Pharaoh will pay attention this time. He reminds them of the covenant and that he will bring them out of Egypt to Canaan. He sends plagues. He delivers them from their enemy. Now in the wilderness, he provides them with a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light. He provides them with manna and quail and sweet water and just plain old water, because the second time it's not said to be sweet. A theme of grace, mercy, providence in the wilderness. Quoting from the same chapter, in the midst of these wilderness trials, the biblical narrative emphasizes God's ability to provide the people's needs. In the midst of these trials, God has not forgotten them. In the midst of these trials, God is still providing for them. Noteworthy. The resources to to sustain life in wilderness struggle come from God and are trustworthy. If he gives you something in the wilderness, you don't have to question it. He's proven himself he is trustworthy. Those things he gives you are trustworthy. God's victory over the chaotic power of Pharaoh who opposed God's creation is now reflected in God's use of creation to give life into the wilderness. End quote. Then we spoke of Jesus' experience in the wilderness. Different in many ways, not always, but different from the Israelites. We heard Mark's version of Jesus in the wilderness and it read by Derek as well. Shorter than Matthew and Luke's version, much shorter. It's just sort of like bullet points. In all three versions, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there is a lengthy exchange there. Satan presents temptations to Jesus. Jesus, most likely exhausted and hungry, responds. And what does he respond with? Does anybody know? Scripture. Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the wilderness, for 40 days, in a weakened physical state, Jesus did not waver. I'm telling y'all, and I think I preached on this before, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, I mean, <laughs> temptation all the more, you know, it starts to be that, that moment with Israel, like, well, okay, back there, everything, everything looks good. That, that looks like a good sandwich. That, it, it's different, you know, for I have been in situations where that temptation, you know, it looks appealing. Yet Jesus did not waver because he went to scripture. Scripture that's hidden within him. From both these examples of being in the wilderness, I think there's plenty for us to press into, learn from, and apply to our lives. Wilderness is part of the journey. It just is. It may not be 40 years, please know God. <laughs> it may not be 40 days, please know God. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's some, some, some wildernesses have last well over 40 days. The numbers may vary. But we're not there forever. We're not meant to be there forever. The Israelites passed through. Now, a lot of them didn't live, but their children did. So it continued, right? They continued on beyond the wilderness. Jesus was attended to by angels. It ended. At some point, it ended. But he was in the wilderness for 40 days. It was a reality. It was hard for 40 days. Wilderness, another point, 
that we can lean into is not equated to sin, okay? Listen to this one. You can be in the wilderness and just be in a time of hardship, struggle, and uncertainty. It doesn't mean you have sin or you're planning to. It probably just means you're alive and experiencing life and not an easy part of it. Yes, sin can be a part of that. We see that with the children of Israel, but that's not the whole of the story. So if you were in the wilderness, it doesn't mean, oh, I did something. I, this is what, uh, let me just take a drink real quick. It doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I've earned this and I'm gonna be just in this dark hole with, or in this, you know, no human beings are here. Life is hard. Life is difficult, you guys. And I wasn't sure if I was gonna say this, I don't know if I could say it without crying, but what is happening across the ocean in Gaza and Israel, life is hard. We have, we have no clue. We have no clue of the pain and I'm sure there are many believers, I want to say on both sides, because I know there are, who are like, Lord, what on earth? Where are my children? Where are my family? My kid went to a concert and didn't return home. We just saw pictures, etc. This, nobody deserved this. The wilderness is not equated to sin. We live in a fallen and a broken world, and sometimes when we're traveling through we stop in places that are full of broken people, that are full of our own brokenness. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's just the reality of a broken world. So sorry, that was very much with me as I was preparing. Another point, God led the Israelites into the wilderness, and time and time again, he stayed with them and provided for them. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now the Spirit is not mentioned after this, and neither is God, but they have this really close relationship. That's a joke. They have this really close relationship. So I believe the, the Spirit and God were there. You know, I, don't, I do not believe for a second that God was, or sorry, that Jesus was abandoned to, well, good luck, Lord bless, the angels will be here in 40 days. I don't think that that's, that's what happened. And, the reality is, is scripture was in him, right? He was holding onto scripture. So we know that as the Israelites are going through, as Jesus is experiencing this, that God is with them. And I find comfort in that, that I can go through this wilderness and this hard time, and believe you me, folks, y'all that know me a little bit know there's a lot going on with my son. We are in a wilderness, a long one. God is here. God is with me. He's present. He did not abandon any of us or these folks in these moments. Another point, our wilderness times are not wasted times. They don't have to be. Times to just get through it, as I confessed earlier. Some of us don't like being in pain. Probably most of us don't like being in pain or uncomfortable. But if we choose to embrace the hard parts of the wilderness, I think we'll, I think we'll see something. What if we choose to believe that God is with us in those moments instead of just putting on your track shoes and running through? Because not bad, but we can run through, but the wilderness is still gonna be there. <laughs> it's just your, uh, I don't know, it's still gonna be there. Can you imagine the work he might be able to do in us? Or as believers, we may be able to offer to others who are going through similar experiences, we may be able to offer some truths that we learned in the wilderness. The one thing about and y'all know, we talk about my son all the time. The one thing about what we're going through, 
Do you know how many parents I've talked to who have kids on the spectrum? Do you know how many parents have been encouraged like, okay, I'm gonna be okay? It's because of the wilderness I've walked in. It's because of the difficulty I walked in. It's because I've had a God who has walked with me and not abandoned me. And guess what? Do you know how many times I've shared about Jesus with having a son with autism? A lot, because he has sustained me. So what could our experiences in the wilderness in these times that maybe feel less than ideal, how could we also say, Lord, help me to embrace, help me to be present? Because we don't know what's gonna be on the other side of that. I'm just saying. The other point is the wilderness is not about hopelessness. Earlier I talked about post-slavery and re- the realities that they looked, looked at as they entered the wilderness. Many black Americans experienced, what they experienced was horrible and inhumane, we know this. We have first-hand account, we have written account, nobody can deny, horrible. Yet the horrors of slavery, post-slavery, is not the whole story, right? or the end of the story. My people are resilient. Even back then, and I've seen writings this, this, this semester of theology class, the writings that people, they knew who their God was. They knew there was worth. They knew they were five-fifths human, which equals a whole. They knew that. So the wilderness is not necessarily about hopelessness. I know that theologian earlier said, and this is where I kind of agree, it's not a place you wanna go and it's a dangerous place. However, when we do allow ourselves to enter into it, God can do things and hope can be developed in these dark places that we can bring to the other side. I'm only here because those ancestors chose to keep going, right? That's just the truth, that, that is hope right there. That is redemption right there. Another point, in the wilderness, Jesus had scripture hidden in his heart. I've already referenced this, and on his lips. Psalm 119, 11 through 13, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your degrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Jesus accessed scripture. We can, if we know scripture, you, can't, you, can't, you do have to know it. <laughs> you do have to be in it, because sometimes it's like, oh, I need to grab something. And yes, you can say Jesus' name. Obviously, there's, there's things we could, that are immediate things that we can grab, but if we know his word, if we have it hidden in our hearts, then we, when we are in the wilderness, when we are outside of the wilderness and just wanna praise him, we would have already had it hidden in our hearts. So that is another thing, and I'm constantly convicted in a good way, not in a shame way or a, but just to know God's word, to know God's word as Jesus did in this moment. The last point I think we can lean into, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. And so often we are tempted. We are tempted all the time by all sorts of things, from gossiping to, I don't know, acting out in our anger to whatever. You know, the, given who you are, your, your temptations will be catered that way. You know, but that doesn't mean, again, the story ends there. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, um, I go to this one often since I was a kid, I had to memorize this. <laughs> I always wonder like, why do we have to memorize that? But anyway, one that we memorize, and actually it has stayed with me. So that's, maybe that's why, as a kid, um, to hold on to these things all these decades later. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, 
He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it or another version so that you can stand up under it. I love that picture of temptation and sin and this thought of just standing up under it. And if I'm, I'm under it, I think there's also the hope of throwing it that way or throwing it this way because God is with me. Jesus is with me. Holy Spirit is with me that I don't have to give in to that. So folks, short and sweet, but I wanna say this, um, wilderness is real. It is real in the Bible, it is real in our lives. God is also real. And God is also with us in these times and not just in the wilderness. We know that God is with us before we entered it. God is gonna be with us well after that. But it's real. And it can be really hard and it can feel hopeless, but it is not hopeless. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.